safer sex. Intercourse. Conduct. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted infection. Contraceptive. Sexual health health Hello and welcome to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we discuss all things related to sexual health. For World No Tobacco Day 2022, we've partnered with the South East Sydney Local Health District Health Promotion Service to discuss a topic that affects many of the people who come and see us here at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. Smoking. We should all be aware that smoking is bad for us, but in recent years, vaping has been seen as a safer alternative. But is it safe? To help answer this question, we're joined by Dr. Aaron Coleman, who is a GP and registrar here at SSHC. And overall, people feel quite good after they quit. They notice that their physical activity levels can improve financially. They have more money. Relationships also improve too. We'll then be joined by David, a peer worker, to talk about his quitting experience. It's been over a year now. And I've saved over $7,000 and I've avoided over 20,000 cigarettes um, and feeling really, really good about it. Finally, we're joined by Emily Jenkinson from Cancer Council New South Wales to discuss their research into vaping-related harms. The emergence of vaping products and their uptake by young people has um, a lot of potential to undermine decades of progress in tobacco control and it's a pretty critical time for public health experts to intervene before we see another generation of uh, smokers created. My first guest is Dr Aaron Coleman, so welcome to the podcast Aaron. Thanks Tom. Uh, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what interested you in working in sexual health? Yeah, certainly. So um, uh, as Tom said, my name is Aaron Coleman and I'm a doctor that works at Sydney Sexual Health and also I work as a general practitioner in Sydney too. I've always uh, been quite interested in sexual health ever since I was at university, which was quite a while ago, um, when I did a, a prac in sexual health and I realised it was very community-based um, specialty and that's kind of what drew me to the two fields of GP and sexual health. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm able to contribute to my community um, in a multitude of ways which isn't just like treatment and prescribing but also prevention and public health and I guess that's what's really drawn me to this specialty. This podcast is all about uh, vaping and smoking so uh, what are some of those risks of smoking? Yeah, so I guess um, we know that smoking still causes a higher burden of disease than any other behavioural risk, um, and many deaths in Australia are actually quite attributable to tobacco smoking. Risks, there's quite a few risks with smoking tobacco, um, and broadly I guess we can think of cardiovascular disease where it places people at a higher risk of developing things like high blood pressure, experiencing a heart attack or stroke and other vascular diseases that um, include blockage of arteries. Otherwise we think of pregnancy as well, um, it can affect someone's fertility and also the outcomes of a pregnancy. And also, obviously, respiratory um, conditions where it can predispose someone to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which people often know as emphysema, and also predisposes people to lung infections. And it's also known as a carcinogen or something that can predispose someone to cancer. 
And there are a few cancers that are attributable to tobacco smoking or at least have an association. And they're lung cancer, head and neck cancers, bladder cancer, colorectal cancer, cervical cancer. And I guess one of the biggest risks that I see in clinical work um, in general practice is the financial risk as well, um, where cigarettes are quite expensive nowadays and it does have that social risk as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, many of the people who access our services here at Sydney Sexual <coughs> Health Centre uh, may belong to groups that have higher incidences of smoking, so LGBTQIA plus community members, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, are there many occasions where you have had the opportunity to discuss uh, smoking harms with patients? Yeah, so we do have the opportunity to discuss smoking and smoking harms with patients here. Um, at Sydney Sexual Health, we ask every patient who presents about their smoking history, um, particularly in patients who are living with HIV and over the age of 40, we conduct a, what we call a comorbidity screen, um, which includes a patient's smoking history. Although Australia has been a global leader in tobacco uh, control, nearly one in seven Australians still report uh, smoking tobacco. And this rate is disproportionately represented by the populations that we predominantly see at Sydney Sexual Health. Um, these include people from the LGBTQIA plus community, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and those living with a mental illness. I guess one of the barriers for health professionals to offer smoking cessation advice is the time required. Um, often you're limited by the, the consult time that you have. Um, however, evidence shows that brief intervention is actually quite effective. Um, many people who smoke tobacco have ambivalence about quitting, yet brief interventional methods um, such as motivational interviewing and um, I guess, behavioural uh, interviewing, which is patient-centred, non-confrontational, is quite successful. And I do, we do have this like brief way to approach it when you are time-limited, and it's summarised by ask, advise, and help. So I guess like ask is asking someone about their smoking, what they like and don't like, and summarise and reflect that. For example, if you're speaking to someone and you say, look, you enjoy having a cigarette when you go out with your friends, but how much does it cost as well? Um, and so you're able to reflect with uh, your patient about, um, I guess, the benefits and the risks of smoking. Advising is basically we advise of the benefits in a non-confrontational, personalised way and advise the best ways of quitting and referring to things like Quitline and apps, but also organising follow-up as well. And helping is, you know, encouraging the, I guess, those app, the apps use and also going to a psychologist as well and organising regular follow-up. Every consult is an opportunity, at least, to initiate that, that conversation um, about cessation. And uh, some individuals may be at increased risk of smoking-related harms, such as people living with HIV. Uh, why is that? Yeah, I guess when we discuss the outcomes of smoking, we see it as a variable that increases the risk of other health outcomes. For example, like we said, the risk of heart attack. People living with HIV are at a greater risk of developing cardiovascular diseases such as heart attacks and some malignancies. For people living with HIV and the addition of tobacco smoking increases this risk furthermore. 
Um, for example, people living with HIV who smoke, their risk of developing high blood pressure and other diseases like stroke um, is higher than those not living with HIV and who smoke. So if somebody quits smoking, uh, what are the benefits to them? Um, there's a lot of benefits. Um, we know when you quit smoking, uh, the, the health benefits are actually quite remarkably quick. Um, within minutes, a person's heart rate will drop, um, and in several weeks, the level of toxins like carbon monoxide will actually re reach the level of someone who doesn't smoke. Um, it's actually thought that smokers who quit by the age of 35 reverse the damage that um, may have been done, um, but quitting at any age improves health outcomes. Um, these include increasing your overall life expectancy, um, and lowering the risk of cardiovascular disease, like we talked about, um, and re reducing the risk of cancers, as we mentioned before, and reducing the risk of going on to develop chronic lung disease. It also reduces the risk of secondhand smoking damage to other people as well who may be in the family. For example, if people have little kids, um, it will reduce the risk of secondhand smoking and outcomes for them. And overall, people feel quite good after they quit. They notice that their physical activity levels can improve financially. They have more money. Relationships also improve too. What are some of the medications that can help people to stop smoking? So there are several agents that we can use, um, which are used as, I guess, replacement therapies. When we think, I guess, people will often immediately think of nicotine replacement therapies, and they're the patches, the sprays, the lozenges that you can buy from the chemist, but it's often better to get a script for it. And that's because you have that kind of relationship with a doctor who is providing those behavioural therapies, which we know in, I guess, combination is most effective. Um, uh, and it's also important to go through things like side effects. For example, some people will stop taking the nicotine replacement because they're swallowing it and it creates hiccups and a lot of nausea. And so the, I guess, adherence is low because we haven't been able to discuss that if we don't have that opportunity. Mm. There are other things people will often know about, things like Champix, um, which is another substitution therapy. The medication is called Varenicline, um, but often we just refer to it as Champix. Um, and it's, I guess, titrated over a few weeks um, and it goes up to 12 weeks. You can have a bit more, but it's actually quite effective as well. Um, and the last one is bupropion, which is uh, it's an eight-week course of a tablet. Um, and it is quite effective, but there are risks with it. So you can't give it to people who have a history of seizures or are on, I guess, seizure threshold lowering medication. So there are options, but the important thing is to know that it's in combination with behavioural therapies, psychotherapy and medication, not just medication on its own. My next guest is David, who will share his experience with quitting smoking cigarettes. Hi, I'm David. I'm a peer support worker for St George Community Mental Health. So my motivation uh, for quitting after about 10 years of struggling to quit was um, financial and for health reasons. So um, for me, I was just sick of watching um, like basically $50 go up in flames um, every two days. Um, I couldn't sustain it and um, what was I getting for it? I was actually making myself sick, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't taste any food. 
So I decided enough was enough, but it was certainly, um, it took a long time to get to that stage. The grit line was really, really instrumental um, in keeping me on track, particularly in the beginning, in the first few weeks and months. Um, I used both the My Quit Buddy app <clears throat> in conjunction with the like, Quit Line phone service. Um, whenever I was getting cravings, I would call them up. They were great at educating me, letting me know things like how long the craving would last. Um, when you're in the moment, you feel like it's going to last forever, but um, the Quit Line was great in terms of telling me it lasts between two and five minutes, giving you things to do in the meantime to distract yourself. Um, having a cup of tea, um, doing a quick crossword or anything, but anything just to get your sort of mind off it. Um, so they were great, keeping me on track and also um, giving me counselling of an evening, which was what I'd identified as a, a danger time for me and just answering some of the questions I had about how long things like the insomnia or the disturbed sleep would last. Um, when I would start sort of levelling out in terms of cravings, how long they would sort of go on for. Um, so the quit line was really, really good. And um, it's great to know that whenever you call up, you've got a team there whose sole purpose is just to help you achieve your goal of quitting smoking. David also used the My Quit Buddy app to help him quit. I really like using My Quit Buddy app on my phone to keep me on track. From the very beginning, I found it very user-friendly in terms of you put in how many cigarettes you, you uh, usually smoke, um, the cost of that packet, um, and then it pretty much does the rest for you. So you can watch it pretty much minute by minute, um, keep keeping track of how many cigarettes you've avoided smoking, um, how many milligrams of tar you've avoided, um, how much money you've actually saved that you would have spent on smoking, and um, then you just watch the money go up in terms of savings. You just watch the amount of cigarettes that you would have had. It's been over a year now, and I've saved over $7,000, and I've avoided over 20,000 cigarettes, um, and feeling really, really good about it. One of the main reasons that I had so much difficulty quitting in the beginning was the thought that it would be too stressful. The first two weeks are a little bit rocky, but in the long term, you're so much less stressed once you've given up smoking than I was when I was actually smoking. Having each cigarette, I felt really guilty. I knew that I was wasting my money. I knew that I was um, not, not doing anything great for my health. And every cigarette was meant to be my last cigarette. Every time I bought a packet, it was gonna be my last packet of cigarettes that I bought. I felt like I had this huge guilt hanging on me. And um, when I finally did quit, it was just this huge relief. I had the monkey off my back. The, the stress that I feel now is so minimal compared to before, and it's something I wish I'd done a lot earlier. My final guest is Emily Jenkinson. Emily is the Special Projects Lead for Tobacco Control at the Cancer Council, New South Wales. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's nice to be here. Uh, can you tell me a bit about yourself and what interested you in studying smoking harms and vaping in particular? Sure. So, yeah, my name's Emily and I work as a lead in tobacco control at Cancer Council New South Wales. And I guess a big part of my role involves exploring the issue of vaping, particularly among young people and young adults in New South Wales. So, 
the emergence of vaping products and their uptake by young people has um, a lot of potential to undermine decades of progress in tobacco control. And it's a pretty critical time for public health experts to intervene before we see another generation of uh, smokers created. Uh, can you tell me about the uh, Generation Vape research that you've been involved with? Uh, how was this conducted and what were the findings? Sure. So Cancer Council New South Wales is currently undertaking a large research project called Generation Vape, which is funded by New South Wales Health and the Mindaroo Foundation. And this study aims to examine awareness, perceptions, attitudes, related knowledge and behaviours of vaping among four key target audiences. So among young people aged 14 to 17 years, parents of young people, secondary school teachers, principals and administrators. And also uh, we have a second project, which is with young adults aged 18 to 24, which is funded by the Cancer Institute. What were some of the findings of that, of that research and the outcomes? Sure. So we have so far undertaken one phase of the research with young people, parents and teachers. And to do that, we used a two-pronged approach. So we have a qualitative research component. So that involved interviews and focus groups with those key audiences. And then we also had a quantitative um, component, which was a, an online cross-sectional survey. So we're still um, in progress with the research. So, um, But some initial findings, I guess, are that uh, vaping among young people is a lot higher uh, than we have initially thought. So the uptake of vaping seems to be far higher than we've previously estimated. And it seems like vaping is a pretty socially acceptable behaviour among young people, unlike smoking. Are these people who are taking up vaping um, without having smoked beforehand? Yeah, so these are young people that probably would have never touched cigarettes or that grew up with, you know, mass media campaigns and anti-tobacco campaigns um, and know a lot about the harms of smoking. But now we're starting to see the emergence of a, a new generation of young people that are you know, using these products. In some ways, vaping can seem like a good alternative for reducing the harms related to smoking as it has less of a harmful uh, chemicals in tobacco smoke. Uh, what is the evidence around this? Yeah, well, a lot of people argue that vaping is safe um, or safer than traditional cigarettes. Safer does not equal safe. And the best thing you can do for your health is just quit smoking or vaping altogether. Uh, so vapes still contain you know, a range of harmful chemicals like those found in cleaning products and nail polish remover, weed killer and bug spray. Um, but quite often they're just not listed on the labeling or the packaging. So not to mention um, the majority of vapes contain nicotine. So that's the same highly addictive substance that's in cigarettes. So that can cause addiction as well as a bunch of other long-lasting effects on a young person's brain development. And for those people who are using vaping as a means to uh, help them quit smoking, uh, what is the evidence around this? Sure. Well, the first thing to know about vaping and quitting smoking is that um, e-cigarettes have been shown in multiple studies to actually cause a threefold increase in the risk of smoking uptake in people who otherwise would have never smoked at all. So that includes major government-funded studies by ANUs, the Australian National University. Cancer Council New South Wales doesn't recommend the use of e-cigarettes as a smoking cessation method, um, mainly because the evidence is inconclusive. So the Therapeutic Goods Administration has not approved any e-cigarette product as a quit smoking um, tool yet. But as you said, they are available by a prescription for somebody who would like to discuss that option with their GP. Um, 
But one of the most important things that we're advocating for is for government authorities to do more to stop young people obtaining e-cigarettes without medical authority. It's also important to note that most smokers um, quit without products or individual assistance um, with hard-hitting mass media campaigns and price controls like taxation being the most uh, effective interventions. But for those who want to access additional help, there are safe, effective, you know, TGA-approved uh, quit-smoking options available. So these include things like quit-smoking medications or nicotine replacement therapy like patches or gum and services like the New South Wales Quit Line as well. So I think it's pretty important to restrict access to nicotine to people just with that medical authority um, and that will sort of help protect young people from nicotine addiction. So that's the same, you know, the same young people that the tobacco industry and e-cigarette retailers are, you know, aggressively targeting to build a new generation of smokers in our country. You mentioned that New South Wales Health recently released an anti-vaping campaign. As an outcome of that uh, generation vape research, you developed a toolkit which helped to inform that campaign. Can you tell me a little bit more about the toolkit and uh, how that was used? Yeah, of course. So New South Wales Health have recently released their Do You Know What You're Vaping campaign, which is targeting young people in New South Wales, but also providing resources for parents and teachers struggling with the issue of vaping. So Cancer Council New South Wales was involved in the development of the Vaping Toolkit, which is a collection of resources aimed at young people, parents and teachers. And the resources include um, assets like fact sheets, newsletters, and letters home to parents uh, and social media tiles as well. So our team um, worked closely with New South Wales Health and the Department of Education to compile and synthesise all of the evidence for the campaign, review um, all existing vaping resources, both in Australia and overseas. And we also used the research findings from our Generation Vape project to inform some of the key messaging for the resources as well. So the end result uh, is now that there's a comprehensive suite of vaping resources available via New South Wales Health's website for young people, parents and teachers to access evidence-based information from a trusted source. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great resource and a really great step in the right direction in informing um, those target audiences about vaping and the harms of vaping. Yep, fantastic. And we will um, we'll include a link to those resources uh, in the description of the podcast as well. Uh, so nicotine-containing vapes have been listed as Schedule Four medication by the TGA, meaning that people need a prescription from a doctor to purchase them, though they are still widely available to purchase, so you know, people can get them from a local corner store. What is your advice to people who continue to purchase vapes without a prescription? Yeah, I think it's a good reminder, I suppose, that that purchasing vapes without medical authority is illegal. So it's just important to be mindful of that. And if you are aware of retailers that are selling vapes illegally or under the counter, there are uh, resources and ways to report them to make sure that we're, you know, protecting our young people and making sure that vapes are only supplied um, the way they're intended to be. So that's through the prescription only model for people trying to quit smoking. Uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast today, Emily. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. You've been listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we've been discussing the harms related to vaping. If you'd like more information, you can find some links in the description. 
You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for more information about sexual health. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.